Father, we just thank you for your goodness again. Lord, thank you that this morning you're just going to help us to just grow. And Lord, that we might see you, know you more. Holy Spirit, just teach us. Um, speak to us so that we can understand where you want us to go, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just going to be reading um, a story very shortly in Exodus. And basically, it's where the Israelites have gone out to a plane on their journey to the promised land and some people come to fight with them. And it's an interesting story because it's the first time Joshua is mentioned. Um, just, just a few little things that you might want to keep track of while we're reading the story. Joshua, um, translated in the Greek, is Jesus. So when you see Joshua, often it's like what they call types and shadows. In the Old Testament, it speaks of things that are in the New Testament. So you often see the names are sort of reflected in the New Testament story. So Joshua, Jesus. Um, the same same name. The Amalekites, um, they came from uh, a tribe that was um, Abraham's son that wasn't of the promise. Okay, so God gave Abraham a son through a handmaid, not through his wife, and through that there's all these things happen, but anyway, it wasn't a promise. And so these Amalekites came from that and from Esau as well. Um, and so what we're, we're looking at here is they represent what we call the flesh. Okay, like when we, I mean, I don't know if you've been a Christian for very long. If you have been a Christian for a while, you'll hear that term quite often, the flesh. We fight against the flesh. And, and if you're not being in church very much, that makes no real sense at all. What do you mean we fight against the flesh? What that really means is worldly desires, the things around us, and it includes the things that, the enemy Satan has for us to fight against. All right, so we're just going to set that up. There's just a few terms in there to think about. Now, I want to recap a story that I've told you a while ago about my life, uh, which was when I was at university in Canberra. We, hit, we did this thing called Inward Bound. Now, some of you might have heard this story before. I'm pretty sure you have because it's one of the most significant times in my life where I really understood a principle. So what happened was we were competing against the other colleges that were at university. So um, if you've ever been on a university campus, there's different houses and, and ours was Bruce, okay? That was our house, the Bruce house. And so we'd make teams and we'd compete against the other ones. There was Toad Hall, which was a funny one, but um, they were sort of like the, the cheapies. You know, they'd have to do everything for themselves while I was living in luxury and being fed, paid for my, by my parents. Uh, thanks, mum and dad who are back today. Thank you for that. Um, but we'd get our meals provided, but these other guys didn't. And, and there's other halls as well, which were even more upper class. I don't know what they had there, but it must have been good. Um, so they grab us. We'd have teams of four people. We'd go and get dumped out in the bush at midnight. Where we knew, we didn't know. And we were blindfolded on the way out, so we just dropped off in the middle of the night in the bush in a random spot. That sounds like fun, right? <laughs> Everyone's going, that's awesome. Anyway, they did give us a map. So what we had to do is look at the map, which is of a massive area, and try and work out where we were. And then once we worked out where we were, we had to work out where we're going and how to get there. And it's quite gruelling. So it's about 110 kilometres, I think, away from where we were. And the, the competition is to get there as fast as you can. So off we go. We start running and walking and running and walking. 
and we keep going and going and going. And what happens is as you're going along, at different times, someone will get discouraged. And so, say it was me, you got discouraged, oh, this is so far, this is so long, I'm really tired. And what would happen is you'd have three other people around you, come on, you can do it, keep going. And, and so you'd sort of pick yourself up and you'd hit this different zone. So you'd, you'd get your mojo and you'd start going and then someone else would be in the position you were before, but now you're up and they're down. And it's like, come on, let's keep going. We can do this. We can push through. And so then they keep going as well. So, you know, night turns to day and then it's sort of getting to night again. And we were thinking, oh, we must be nearly finished because the point isn't exact on the map, but it's a fairly good reference. So we come along and there's all these people running and we see a finish line and we're all excited and we run up and we pass the finish line and we're like, wait a minute, that's not us. It was a fun run being run at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Now, I can imagine how disappointing that was because we were like, we're finished, you know, and, and when you think you've got to the finish line, it's like, oh, you've got to pick yourself up again. And so we looked at the map and it was still like another six kilometres to go or something and it was all uphill. It was horrible. Anyway, so we took off and we went up. And we finished, and, and basically it was really nice because it was Canberra, so it was like really cold, middle of winter, and they had a big bonfire there and you'd go and you'd huddle up and you'd have something to drink, um, like hot cocoa or something, I can't remember what it was. But I remember we, we get piled back into a van and you're just so tired, you just collapse. And so the van had, you know, the back of the ute house corrugated? That was it. We just all flaked. And you wake up and you're like, everyone's lying everywhere <laughs> all over the place. But you're so exhausted from the fight, but you'd won a victory. And um, then the next week at uni, you knew who'd done that run because your calves were just shot. And so you're just walking around like this. <laughs> it was really funny. But the point of that story is this, that we need other people to lift us up at times. And when the times are tough, we need to rely on other people as well. We need to be around people that are getting courage and lift us up not just in words, but in prayer and in deed. And so this story is going to talk a little bit about that and just the challenge that that is for us in terms of our faith. So we're looking at Exodus. Sorry, guys, be with you shortly. Chapter 17, anyway, I'm pretty sure it is. (coughs) Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to be reading verse 8 to 16. So this is the Israelites, they've not long come out of Egypt. So what we're talking about here is a a, a nation of slaves that are going to be faced with an enemy. Now we often think of the Israelites, because we read the stories, that they're this warring race and and quite warrior-like, but they've come out of slavery right now and they're walking towards the promised land. None of them have been in battle before. Their whole life has been about serving someone else. They've they've been trapped in a place that... um, wasn't good for them, that they lost all their esteem, their ability to fight. They were actually 
you know, imagine what a slave life would be like. You've got no choice of what you do. So they're coming out of there and they're being faced by this enemy that has been wandering around in the desert for years and years and fighting in a warring tribe and they're facing them. So while the people of Israel were still in Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow we'll stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said they have raised their fists against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. So we see here a story where Moses had a plan from God. That was, if you go up the top of the hill and hold your staff up, you're going to win this fight. Is that right? No. Because it wasn't just the holding the staff up, but there was a man who he had to ask to go and fight the battle on the ground. There was two things. It was Joshua fighting on the ground and Moses standing there, and, and often this is given as a place of prayer, standing on the hill praying for the victory. There's two things that we really need to consider as a Christian that we need. Number one is that we need prayer when we're facing situations. We're singing a song this morning about miracles and about God moving. And it's true, he does those things outside of the ordinary, unexpected, unexplained, that blow us out of the water when he comes and moves with a miracle. And at other times he says to us, you need to fight. But when we fight, we don't want to fight in our own power. We want something that's behind us. And this is where the prayer thing comes in. We need both. We need people fighting on the ground. We need them doing things and we need prayer. Because this battle, although it seemed as it was against man, it's that, that picture of us fighting against the enemy that would try and stop us reaching the promises of God. And the promises of God are released when we pray and when we act not just when we pray and not just when we act. Because our action shows our faith, doesn't it? You know, when James was talking about faith and works, he said, you show me your faith by your works. You say you've got faith, but show me. What are you doing that proves you actually have faith? And what I want you to sort of grasp today is this, that we need people who pray and we need people who do. And we need people who pray and do. And we need people who pray when others do and we need the others that are doing praying when the others are doing. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's very confusing. Go, go and listen to the podcast and you'll get it. There's two things that we need. And I feel like, well, I guess both of them lack sometimes in the church. You know, it's, it's like, we don't do because we say, well, let's just pray about it. Let's just pray about it. You know, I'm, I'm having these problems. Let me just pray about it. And, you know, it, it'd be like me saying, 
do you know what? We cannot pray for the world to be saved and see them saved. And you'd be like, what? But, but haven't we got faith for God to move and do something? Yes, we do. But Jesus, when he was saying that prayer about um, the harvest of people that were ready to come into the kingdom, he said, don't pray for the harvest. It's there. Pray instead for the workers. Now, there's two things there that Jesus said. One is pray. Pray for the workers to go and do the work. And you'll find in your life there are many times when you're coming up against a situation that you're just like, I don't know how to handle this and it doesn't seem normal. It's quite probably that there's a spiritual element involved. Because sometimes things are just because we, like, like I'll give an example, say for me and Joe, sometimes it's just because we argue. Believe it or not, we do have arguments. Sometimes Joe thinks she's right and she decides, oh, whoa, look at <laughs> She's not here, that's right. And she is. <laughs> she's, she's right. Sometimes I think I'm right and I'm wrong. But sometimes we just have arguments. That's life, right? But there's been other times in our marriage where it just seemed really weird. There's, I remember there's probably been two days in the, our, our whole entire marriage it just seemed wrong. It seemed like the relationship between us just wasn't meshing. We were, we were just disagreeing on everything and, and just feeling like, you know, it was really hard. And it wasn't for weeks or anything. This was like within hours. And we were just like, what's going on? I said to Joe, this is more than normal. There's a spiritual attack behind what's happening now. And so what we did was pray. And guess what? It changed immediately. But we came together and we prayed together, let's change this thing. Because it wasn't normal. It was like we recognized that there's something coming against us. You will see it in your life with all sorts of things. There's sometimes a sickness seems to just come against your family all the time. And it just doesn't seem to stop. It's relentless, that attack. That is most likely a spiritual thing that's happening. Now, I believe all sickness is not of God. It's of the devil. But there's other times when we just get a cold. And it's not an attack. It's like, oh, we're sick. And we pray to get better. But we need to be really aware that we are in a battle. Just as these guys were heading towards the promised land, there's victories in our life that can only be won through prayer and action. And we need people praying for us. The story is remarkable because it was as Moses was holding up the rod, however you hold a rod up, I guess like that, God was pushing back the enemy. There was that, that spiritual element. But at the same time, if Joshua said, I'm not fighting, does the enemy get pushed back? Nothing happens, right? Sometimes God intervenes, as I said, with some victories that are just amazing, out of the ordinary and, and wonderful. But God wants us to fight for his kingdom. He wants us to be into battle for his kingdom, to, to look forward and say, how can we do what you want us to do, God? What is it that I have to do? What is the one thing that you're asking of me? You see, there's not one person, not one Christian that can't do something for Christ. Every single one of us can do something. That's the way it is. And I don't believe there's a person in the world that cannot do something that's a Christian for Jesus. Now, the good thing is he won't make us do anything beyond our ability or what he's given us to do. The task is set. But find your thing and enjoy it, love it, and immerse yourself in it. This is the thing I do for Jesus. Find your role and fill it. So we have these two ways of fighting, the spirit 
in prayer and the action. They have to go together. If you're not praying, you need to pray. You need to have people behind you praying. You need to have someone who's holding up your arms when you get tired. And I want to encourage people today that if you're going through a hard time, don't do the Christian thing. (laughs) That sounds wrong, doesn't it? Don't do the Christian thing. (laughs) But we're Christian. Maybe, Maybe I should say it more correctly, the church thing. Everything's good. I'm going to deny this problem because if I do admit that there's a problem, then I've failed. Is that often the way it is? We think we've got to present ourselves in this, this way that, you know, God's working in our life, everything's victorious and great, and if it's wrong, I really can't admit it because I'm a failure. Moses was there praying. Imagine if he just said to those guys, you know, it's all right, I'm not tired. My arms are great, they're strong, and he couldn't hold them up anymore the victory would never have been won because he had his limits and it was hard work. You've got to imagine this is out in a plain, the hot sun's beating down, he's standing on top of a mountain. There would be no shade. It's not like he's under the shade of a tree sitting down in one of those you know, camp chairs that folds back. He's, he's sitting on a rock now and they're holding up his arms because it's tough. And the spiritual life is going to be tough because we have an enemy. Is it? True? Yes, it is. And if you've got an enemy, that means he's going to come against us. He wants to stop God's plan on this earth. He wants to stop people getting to heaven. He's rejected God. He was in heaven once. And he said, God, I I, I want your place. I want to be God. And of course he couldn't. So let's not be these Christians that, that just presume that we can't admit that we need help, can't admit that we need prayer. You see, you are fighting in your place right now, wherever it might be. It might be your workplace. It might be in your family life. It might be in your marriage. It might be in friendships. It might be financially. And we don't want to admit that we need help, but really we need to know that there's a battle going on and we need some people that we trust and know that we can go to and say, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm having a tough week. Everything's going wrong. I need you to pray for me. Because I'm going to go out and I'm going to engage myself in the battle again, wherever it might be. If it's in my marriage, if it's in my relationship, if it's in my work, I'm going to go and engage myself in battle again, but I need you behind me. Can you pray for me? Not a gossip thing, not a light, let's share it with the whole world, but there are some things in your life where you need to have some people that you trust and know that are prepared to go down on their knees to fight the battle for you while you're out there in the field. And at the same time, you're, you're going to have to be that person for someone else. And the funny thing is that you can be both at the same time. You can be battling and you can be praying. You can be working for someone else and praying for someone else and it'll be just like when we're running, you know, I just can't do this anymore. This is just too hard. And you get that person beside you and it could be you and hopefully it is you that you're that person that goes alongside people and encourages them. It's okay. It's going to work out. God is faithful. God loves you. He is going to change things around. Just trust in him. And sometimes, even if the circumstance doesn't change now, it will change. 
because they didn't win the battle in the first hour. It was prolonged. It was, it was burdensome. It was tiring. It was weary. But in the end, God gave them the victory. But prayer was needed. Prayer was needed. And the battle had to be fought as well on both fronts. Just one other thought about this. When we think about enemies and, and, and prayer and what we're trying to achieve as Christians, I think that point's pretty clear about us praying and doing, yeah? It's pretty clear we got that. I just want to talk about how do we then interact that with the world that's around us? How do we pray for that? How do we pray for the world? Because the thing is that in the battle that was going on there, the, the Amalekites represented the flesh, the world, the, the enemy that's around us. But when we're in prayer, what are we praying? What are we looking at attacking? Paul wrote about the fight that we fight. He said it's, it's not a worldly one against flesh and blood. It's against spirits, principalities, powers. The enemy that's around trying to crush Christianity. And you can see it. It's nothing new. It's been happening for a very long time. I was reading some commentaries from, I don't know, like the early hundreds. And they're just saying the times are getting more dangerous for Christians. We sit here today and we think the same thing, don't we? You know, like I'm finding it harder and harder to speak out because the media, the world, it's, it's crushing Christianity. Um, there's a comment on one of the Q&A talkback things the other day and it says the sooner they get rid of religion, the better. As soon as they get rid of Christians and outlaw it, the better. We're living in a world where we think that it's something new. Christians are being persecuted and the worst thing we can do is think we're going to hide. We're going to run away from this battle. We've got to understand that God is on our side. He is God. He is king. He is victorious. He is able to do things far above what we think. Now, we think that, but you think about this time. Guys, we're just going to round you all up. We're going to take you to the lion's den. And we're going to throw you in there and you're going to get eaten. That wasn't long after the start of Christianity. There is nothing new about the enemy coming against those of faith. Nothing new at all. It's not harder really. It's just different. There's different things that are coming against us. What we've got to understand is this. When we're praying, is that we're not to be praying against people. We're to be praying for people. Because we're not against people, we're for them. If we think of the heart of God, that's exactly the example that he gave. Ben, ben this morning said it very succinctly in communion. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. And so what we want to do with our prayer life, we're not praying against people, we are praying for them. We're praying against the powers that are behind it, but we're praying for them. See, often we think that way, don't we? Oh, we're just going to pray against that person. 
They're going to pray that they, whatever, might be. Imagine if that was God for us. Because he says that while we were his enemies, that's when he sent Jesus, right? Rather than coming against us, God opened a way for us to get to him. Rather than shutting us out, God opened the door of salvation so that anyone who believes in him won't perish. And I just want to encourage you as you're praying into situations, because you want to be praying for people, right? Often we look at the person and we don't look at what's behind it. When we're praying for our husband to change, pray for what's behind it. Is there a spiritual element to what's happening that's stopping them hearing the word of God properly? Don't pray against them, but pray that their mind would be opened up to the things of God. I pray, God, that you would just show him the goodness that's in your character, not fix him, but show him your love so that he can change. It's the battle that we fight every single day. We do have to change. We do have to fight in the physical and the spiritual. And I'll just give you one more example before I close today. There are many people who will pray that things change. Let's, let's just do a very simple one. Lord, I want to have enough money to do whatever I need to do. All right? Do you know how long I can pray that prayer and nothing changes? I can pray that prayer forever. Nothing changes. But, but Neil, isn't God powerful? Isn't he going to change it? Isn't he going to bring a miracle? He might do that. But as soon as he brings that miracle, you're going to waste it in a second. Because you've never learnt to budget. You've never learnt to look after your money. You've never honoured God with your finance. And you're expecting him to just do this miracle and make you have surplus when you're spending more than you earn. And so the prayer needs to be a little bit different, doesn't it? It's God, I'm struggling. If I need a miracle, pray for it. Because there are some times we need a miracle, right? We've done everything right. There's everything. The circumstances are just against us what the world would call bad luck. Just this whole big string of things happen and, and God can do a miracle and bring us out of it. But we need to pray, God, just help me to understand and know what I'm meant to do. Lead me by your spirit. And God might say to you, put a budget in place. Yeah, but God, just deliver me. Put a budget in place. God, just deliver me. Three years later, God, deliver me. I'm in so much financial stress. God, just deliver me. I'm waiting for a miracle. Why aren't you doing something, God. And he's just saying, you know what, you need a change. My daughter, my, my family hates me. God, help them to love me. Help them to love me, Father. And he's saying, stop being a jerk. Stop being mean to your kids. Stop yelling at your wife as soon as you walk through the door when you get home from work. And God's working on my heart. But God, just change it. Make it all better. You see, this is the way that God works. There's so many people that are waiting for this word of the Lord from, from 
a prophetic word sometimes, they're like, they're so eager to say, God, show me, send someone to, to lay their hands on me and tell me what's wrong and give me some good advice. And I've seen this so many times over the year, years. You can just stand there and you can deliver the word of God and say, hey, man, you need to get your finances in order. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, God says this about your finances. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then someone comes into town and lays hands on you and says, oh, God just wants to prosper you and make you wonderfully rich. And, oh, that's it. That's my answer right there. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation or seen that happen, where we're always looking for something spectacular so we miss the miraculous, that God has given us things in our life that we can change because of the power that works within us, where we can actually change our character because God's character comes out of us and he melts a heart of stone that's in us and turns it into flesh. That is a miracle. And the witness of the Holy Spirit inside you to show you what he wants, you know what it's like, come on, where you feel like you need to change, you need to do something and there's that feeling inside and you just keep ignoring it because you're just waiting for God to do something. And yet he's talking to you, come on, change and then things will change. Because as people of God, we need to listen to his word, we need to pray and we need to act on that. I believe in miracles. I love that. That's true. I believe in miracles and I see them all the time. I seriously do. And you probably do too and don't even recognize them. But you know, I started that run that day in the dark. And as Christians, that's pretty much how we enter into our Christian life, isn't it? We sort of dropped off in the middle of our darkness and we've got to find a way We've got a map. We've got what God says. We've got his word. We've got the Holy Spirit. And we're moving towards this fire that's at the end where there's that, the promise of, of the end. And on the way, you are going to have to have people that support you in prayer. You're going to have to have people that stand beside you when the going's a bit tough and say, come on, you can do this. And also, you're going to have to be that person that stands beside the other and lifts their hands up when their arms are tired, when they're weary, when they're weak. And you don't have to say, come on, I'm with you. And that is what the Christian walk is about. It's never designed to be the phantom who walks around by himself, the lone ranger, John Wayne, riding off into the sunset after saving the day again. The Christian life is all about us together in a family that God has created through the death of his son Jesus Christ and he's invited each and every one of us into that today. And if that's you today, I'm just going to pray a prayer right now and I'm going to say, why don't you just ask him into your life? That's the first step in change, accepting him as Lord and Saviour. That's when it turns around and this morning I'm just going to invite you to invite him into your life today. The message is this, Jesus died for your sins and has been presented so that you can be saved. But that's way too simple, right? What, what do I actually have to do? You don't have to do anything except believe in the Son 
that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he was buried in the ground, that he rose again to new life and has invited you into that life. Let's just bow our heads, eh? Close our eyes. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask you to just pray with me. And I'd love you to talk to one of your friends and just say, I prayed that prayer with the guy up the front. Or come and see me afterwards and we'll, we'll pray together and we'll talk about the next steps for you. If that's you this morning, just pray with me. Father, I just want to ask you into my heart today. I'm so sorry that I've not lived my life with you at the centre. This morning I want to change that around. I accept the forgiveness that you've given me through Jesus and I'm so sorry for all my sin. Right now, restore me to a relationship with you, God. Come into my heart today. From this day on, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.